welcome to this next episode of the Growth Strategist Chat Series. I'm delighted to be joined today by Colleen Stanley. Colleen, how are you? Very good. Uh, hello from Denver, Colorado. It's great to see you. And, uh, and uh, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. Obviously, I do work around uh, mindful negotiation and deal making, but you know, you're an expert in emotional intelligence around sales. And so you're number seven in the globalgurus.org chart for sales, which is really impressive. You're a Salesforce top sales influencer. You're the author of Emotional Intelligence for Sales Success and Emotional Intelligence for Sales Leadership. So, you know, particularly now where business are struggling and they need to be resilient around sales, but they also need to connect from a human level. I think this conversation above most of mine I think it's going to be really relevant to the audience. So welcome again, and it's great to see you. Thank you. Uh, so maybe just for the first five minutes, give us a, back, a bit of background as to you and, and your career and, and how you got to you know, be an expert in emotional intelligence and sales. So uh, Simon, so first of all, again, thanks for having me today. And we had the good fortune, as I always uh, share with people, that I uh, started with a very, very small company that today is the largest in the world in their industry. But the good fortune for me was because they were more of a startup. Uh, we were all working straight commission. There wasn't a lot of training. So they would hire people like myself that had little or no sales experience. But if you had high desire, passion, perseverance, work ethic, you were set up in an organization that was on its way to be successful. Yeah. I, uh, I, did the corporate client, you know, uh, producer, regional sales manager, became vice president of sales and marketing. And I think that's where I discovered my love for training. Yeah. And so after 10 years, I took a big leap of faith, uh, moved to Denver, Colorado to start in this business. Didn't know anyone, was single, again, working straight commission. That seems to be a theme. Yeah. And a friend of mine, after I'd been in the business a few years, she and her business partner uh, were very, very steeped in emotional intelligence in the leadership world. Yeah. Which no, I think you could really use this in sales. And, and so I to tell you, uh, 10 years ago, I, I don't even think I had heard the words emotional intelligence, much less put in the same context as salespeople, right? Absolutely. So I really started studying it. And to me, it was really the missing gap in what we have, uh, what's popularly termed as the knowing and doing gap. So 10 years ago, we started incorporating it into all of our teaching and coaching um, okay. methods. Wow. And you know, I mean, emotional intelligence, you know, there are a couple of words that are banded around a lot, but, but, you know, it, it, it's all, it is all about relationships. I mean, the, I, I would imagine, the, you know, the old days of banging your fist on the table, the whole machismo, you know, the hard, the hard sale kind of that whole environment, people, people are over. Don't you think we're kind of cynical about that stuff? And so are you seeing, so when you talk about emotional intelligence and sales, are you really talking about value-based selling, relationship-based selling? So what is it, what are you really talking about when you talk about emotional intelligence in relation to sales? Well, you know, I would say, you know, emotional intelligence as it relates to sales is really being tuned in to not only your emotional state, what you're thinking or feeling, right? Yeah. But then with that ability to tune into yourself, it actually increases your ability to tune into what somebody yeah. is thinking or feeling. Now, the popular term for that today would be empathy, right? Yeah, yeah. So often what I ask my audiences, and I'll ask yours today, is how can we possibly think we can influence another human being, whether you're a sales manager or a salesperson, if you don't know, care, understand what they're thinking or feeling? And the very short answer is, you can't. 
So it is the essence of being successful in sales. And that doesn't mean you get rid of the hard selling skills, which, you know, again, you're very, very good at the negotiation skills, um, you know, closing business, prospecting. But yeah. I have found it's the soft skills that actually help with the execution. Absolutely. Selling skills, selling behaviors. Yeah. And, and with, so, you know, I, I lecture and train at business schools and with corporates around the importance of self-awareness and situational awareness. And so is that what you're really talking about? Is, is it about, is it that, is it, I mean, how simple or how complex is this, right? Is it about, is it as simple as, you know, spending some time and researching who you're dealing with and then spending, you know, getting as many answers to questions up front and then, um, is it that simple or is there something a bit more mysterious to this whole area of truly connecting in a sales environment? Well, I think something that gets missed in the sales environment, if they're not incorporating emotional intelligence, is when you really look at sales, it's a thinking skill first before it's a verbal skill. And I'm all about verbal because words make a difference. Tonality makes a difference. Yeah. Expression. Yeah. You really, uh, you know, back up. If I'm going to understand what somebody else is thinking or feeling, I've got to take time to sit and reflect yeah. and think. And so we must think before we speak. So I, I believe in our busy, busy world today, and we're all connected. We've got our adult thinkies. We can't do anything without our cell phone, but it's thinking first. So again, a lot of times it's thinking about, okay, if I was in that person's shoes, what would I be thinking or feeling, particularly in the situation? And, and I'm, I'm going to put you as the expert here, but I think what happens in negotiations, probably first and foremost, I don't want to be taken advantage of. Yeah. I don't even think sometimes about the cheapest price, which I think everybody starts going, oh, they just want a better price. You know yeah. what? At the core of it, I don't want to be taken advantage of. My, my neck is on the line here. I don't want to make a wrong decision. Yeah. So if you tune into, gosh, how would I be thinking or feeling, then I think you're able to better show up to the call and have that verbal conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you know, I talk, when I train around negotiation, I talk, broadly speaking, there's two types of negotiators. There are what I call the fixed pie negotiators. So they see that, you know, that the pie is always the same size and they want to get a bigger slice as they can, right? And they don't care how little the other side gets, but, they, but it's always got to be smaller. Or there are what are called the expanding the pie negotiators. So, you know, they're all about win-win. So they want to expand the pie, right? They both keep the same proportion, but they get a bigger piece each. And so is that, is that, is that more growth, expanding the pie attitude part of what you train? Or how do you go about training your, your clients around using, maximizing their sales through empathy? What, do you have any particular techniques or it, it, does it depend on the client? Well, I'm going to go back to something you just said. I love the expanding the pie because yeah. everyone talks about win-win and then they end up at the negotiation table and you've got a win-lose situation. Yeah. First suggestion would be, again, with uh, self-awareness, sit and reflect. How did I get into this situation? Well, how you got into it, yeah. you haven't done a good job of identifying your ideal target client. Yeah. Because I don't want to do business with people that are going to just buy on price, not value. It's yeah. a win. So, you know, that's the psychographics of a good client, the attitude or culture. So first of all, I would say you've got to back up there to really get an expanding the pie client. Yeah. The, however, is here's where I think people get confused when they teach empathy, because I, I, yeah. I think patients now finally recognize it's a huge influence skill, mm. but often Simon, I see them confusing empathy with validation skills. 
Yeah. Uh, you've opened up to me. I've done good rapport building, Simon, and you say, yeah, I am really frustrated with our current vendor. They, uh, we don't have good response time, quick response time. Yeah. Oh, I went through empathy training and it said to validate Simon's position. Yeah. And I, I repeat back to you like a parrot. I can understand your frustration about slow response time. Yeah. It's not empathy because if you really demonstrate empathy, you can cite the emotion behind the frustration. And yeah. I don't know quite what it is, but Simon, in this case, it might be, you know what, you thought you made a good decision. You think you're being taken advantage of. It's wasting too much of your time. You can't spend time in your core business. So yeah. frustration might be one of three things. Yeah. But just repeating that you said you were frustrated is not empathy. It's being able to understand the emotion behind the words they're expressing. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, what, one subject I wasn't going to come into, but, but a project that I'm working with, um, uh, a negotiation expert from Denver um, and also from Colorado. And I've also written an article about the importance of gender balance, right? The, the importance of gender balance for better business. I wrote an article on it from a deal making perspective. And, you know, historically, there hasn't been much written in this space, right? There has been in the military space. Yeah, not much. No, so in the military, so I, I wrote an article for a, a Globe Law and Business in the UK a couple of years ago, and, and the article's called Gender Balance for Improved Dealmaking. And I did a lot of research, and there's research in the military space that, that says when you bring the feminine to broker military deals, those deals tend to be more sustainable and lasting. So it got me thinking about the corporate space, and you're right, there's very little. Cheryl Sandberg has done work at Facebook, and it was interesting that you know, one of, the, one of the findings was that when women, and I prefer to talk about the feminine and masculine, because we all have, you and I both have fe yeah, feminine and masculine. But, but when women negotiate on behalf of others, they tend to get similar results as men. But when they negotiate on behalf of themselves, they tend to get, tend to get inferior results. Have you found that? Or, or this whole area of gender balance, what, what's your view on it? So this is the research and people sometimes don't like hearing it, particularly if you're of my gender, but that is pretty well documented out there. So I would suggest tapping into another EQ skill, which, you know, empathy overdone can be to your detriment, right? I feel your pain, I understand. Yes. I remember being taken advantage of in a negotiation situation many years ago, Simon, where yeah. business owner was saying, we've had a tough year, can you help us out? And you know that's negotiation tactic number 23, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I dropped my price a little bit thinking I'm going to help this man. And later from a colleague I found out who called me and said, hey, listen, I just need to tell you, he's yeah. brand how he got a sales trainer to drop their price. <laughs> so, so number one, be aware, goes back to self-awareness of when yeah. empathy gets in the way. Yeah. But I would also say for women, get very comfortable being assertive, right? Yeah we always talk about a seat at the table and my premise is this if you're going to get a seat at the table you're going to be challenged and it's not because of this yeah. you're going to be challenged that's what people at the table do exactly Sometimes you've got someone across the table that isn't doing it in an eq fashion yeah be for it not everybody's been trained in it so assertiveness is that ability to state what you need nicely yeah and go along to get along or in my case i i can zip from zero to 100 and get highly aggressive right so now in the negotiation we're we're fighting for the need to be right and get it yeah. right 
Yeah. So I think assertiveness is a skill that a lot of, um, I, I will say women can work on. Being comfortable, you know, uh, disagree with someone. It doesn't mean you're getting labeled all the labels that people, yeah, yeah. It, it's simply having the tougher conversations. It is. And, you know, when I, I, I run a, a program on negotiation over here in Ireland for an American college and, and one, of the, one of the weeks we talk about the different types of negotiators and whether, you, whether, whether it's best to be a softball negotiator, a hardball negotiator or a pragmatist, you know, and, and invariably it's the pragmatist, you know, it, you have to kind of read the situation. And I think, do you think that comes back to that, comes back to that awareness, that emotional intelligence? It's, it's all about reading who you'd dealing with. It's not about lying or being deceitful or being a social Absolutely comedian. Not. But, but, but I think there are some people who think that. I think, I still think maybe a whole load of men who still think that if you act in a certain way rather than be in a certain way, then you're going to get your way. And do you find that when you're dealing with clients that they, some of them still think that they need to act in a certain way rather than actually be and be empathetic? Right. And, and you know, and frankly, Simon, some of that might be what I believe they call anchors. They yes. had success yeah. being this way, right? And so their fear is if I'm this way, I won't have success. Yes. That would be self-limiting belief. So I hate to let go of this. And actually, I don't even like being a jerk, but boy, being a jerk has gotten me results. Exactly. Up, right? Until turnover happens, word on the street is don't deal with these people. They're not very fair. I can tell yeah. you there was a company in Denver. And pretty soon, consultants were just saying, don't even bother calling on them. <laughs> pay their bills on time. They yeah, yeah. do their part on, uh, you know, implementing strategy and stuff. And, you know, Denver's a fairly large community. Yeah. But I think it also, like you said, reading the room. So this is often, you know, in training, people will write this down. Yeah. What is that? Reading the room is listening to the conversation that is not happening. Exactly where I find the most powerful conversation because I'm sure um, oh uh, even a conversation with a friend and you make a statement and they don't say anything now what's really happening there's probably disagreement there but yeah. they're not there and okay. so little places happen all the time where people simply don't reply and you've got to either go after that elephant in the room or dig yeah. a that's a conversation that's not happening that's really interesting because, you know, when I train, I tell people when I do, a bit of, I do a bit of sales training, but it's mainly in negotiation. And I talk about, mm -hmm. you know, I naturally as a human being, I'm a people pleaser. I don't mind people knowing this, right? I, I, yeah. I like to please people and I don't like to be disliked. Um, and so how that translates to a negotiation or a sales process is that when I ask a question, naturally i feel i feel very awkward when there's a silence i i'll ask i'll say colleen you know what do you think of this and then there's a silence and else before you answer i'll say well this is what i meant you know i try and fill that gap and i, I train my students i say to them it's funny that silent and listen i use exactly the same lesson letters right they're exactly the same letters and there's real power in forcing yourself not to fill that gap okay and, mm -hmm. and i think and, you know, and there's a saying in, in mindfulness, you know, the gap between a stimulus and a response, that's where sanity is, right? So I think we have to force yes. ourselves to listen and stop. Do you, do you agree with that, that, that there's so much that, we can, that can be read in the silence? Absolutely. And, you know, I believe what you're saying here is also, this is about good habits of selling, right? So these are things you have to literally, you might not catch yourself the first time. So I always tell 
those salespeople debrief every call, whether it was average or lousy, because again, that which you're not aware of, you're bound to repeat. So say, yeah, I did talk too soon, but now we've got to get to what made you uncomfortable with the silence? Because, you know, I'm married to an analytical processor and you know, we were just up at uh, uh, dinner with friends last night and he's answering. And I will tell you, Simon, when he's answering, he pauses. Yeah. He's thinking, <laughs> and, you know, our friends are very well versed in EQ and nobody finished his sentences for him or, or started doing the head bob. Like, can yeah, you, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, it's a habit and it's habit a habit only mastered with practice. And I will share with you if there's something I get irritated with in my profession because there's not much it's people not practicing because practicing yes. your control um I agree time for meditation in the morning I agree. That's your control why in the world wouldn't you do it you know I agree I attended I agree. a meditation retreat in Ireland actually last year because wow. I wanted to get better yeah. at I knew I was kind of doing it, but not doing it well. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I train in that as well. You know, that people say, you know, why do people like Kobe Bryant and all these sports stars who have been and gone or who are still here, why, when they're at the top of the game, do they still train five or six hours a day? And I say, well, how do you think they got to the top of the game? Nobody, nobody becomes the best sales expert or the best sports star by luck. Nobody does. Nobody does. There's no such thing. Um, so just moving just in the last five or, or seven minutes or so, you know, this whole circuit breaker in the world right now with COVID and what's happening, none of us will forget this year. How do no. you think, do you think, how do you think the whole sales landscape, maybe if we look back in 20 years, right? How do you think, to what extent do you think this is going to change the whole area of sales? I mean, in what respect do you think? Well, there, what I'm seeing is that everybody's taking a look at everything. So yes. it's the same from Warren Buffett, when the tide goes out, now you see who's been swimming naked. Yeah. And, before, um, and I will say this respectfully for all of us, we kind of had the luxury of not looking when the tide went out. Money was good. Business was flush. This was a great economy. So everybody do a really healthy dose of reality testing. And that requires yeah. tough decisions right now. Yeah. So the might be how do I structure my team and I don't think we're ever going to uh, eliminate field salespeople but I do think a hybrid salesperson is the way of the future okay. and some not even because of COVID customers actually don't mind connecting over zoom but the field want to connect in person well yeah. you might have customers that say no I prefer this yeah. so they good at selling video conferencing get comfortable with it yeah um, I think they're going to look at their hiring strategies because one of the things I was talking to a client about um, actually just on Friday yeah. is we've always known self-starting is important, Simon. Today, it's it's a non-negotiable because in an office, sometimes you get the vibe of everybody else. They closed a business, hallway yeah. conversation. And so some of your self-starting momentum came from the environment. Exactly. Well, environment, you might be by yourself. So yeah. I think to be competencies yeah. that people will take a stronger look at and one of those just one final point is your aptitude and attitude towards learning because i have to tell you in the second quarter we have had to blow up our content and not the methodology but how to deliver it deliver yeah. it effectively. it has taken a ton of learning and yeah. if you have an appetite for that you're frankly not going to make it into the future whatever the future looks like 
No, I agree. I mean, we could talk about this for hours because I, you know, I think about this all the time and I, you know, I've been effectively locked down for the last four months and, and I've completely pivoted my business. My business was exclusively face to face, right? Training, yes. coaching, mentoring. And now it's apart from two sessions I've done face to face in the last four months, it's exclusively online. And I literally locked myself away. Luckily I have an appetite to learn and I learned online streaming, creating programs like this podcast, using audacity to, to, to a program for a radio show. And, and I think you're right. I think what, corp, what corporates are going to struggle with, I think, is, and this is kind of off the side, but is how they're going to measure that self-starter attitude. I mean, there are some people who can, there are some people who are not motivated, right, who go to the office but hide because they're held up by others. But when we're working from home, how do you, and I guess maybe this is a bit of a question, how do you measure people who are in sales uh, or any part of a business when they're working from home? How are corporates going to measure this without appearing too ruthless, you know? How, what, what do you think? I mean, as a general overview, how, how do you think this could, could, could proceed down the line in terms of monitoring staff? Well, I think for sales managers, they're obviously like everyone else going to have to up their game, right? So yeah. let's say they've got metrics in place, leading and lagging. Yeah. But I say, you know, like in sales, you have to move beyond the presenting problem, right? The presenting problem is generally not the real problem. Yeah. So if you've got a salesperson not hitting metrics, is it, it's not because they don't know what they're supposed to be doing every day from a sales activity plan. So they may ask, well, what else is going on here before giving one more lecture, right? Yeah. Sometimes what I'm seeing in this new environment, I've heard from more than one person. My time management skills have gone right out the window. They, they still haven't figured out how to settle into the day. So yeah. you might go back to teaching a time management course because yeah. you can teach all the skills you want, but yeah. they can get the activity done or the skills learned or practiced. Yeah. Um, might be belief system coaching, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's good this way. Or, and, and you've seen this with your negotiation, yeah. big, big title, um, my belief system is good. We're actually going to have a good conversation. Yeah. Younger seller is going to go, I'm not going to know the questions to ask. Right. So I think there's going to be more coaching, but a different type of coaching. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, and training and coaching, as you know, is a different skill than just doing deal pipeline review. Anybody yes. reports, you got to yeah. look at the report and go, why is this continually stuck here or falling yeah. out? And then what's the appropriate coaching? Is it mindset coaching? Skills? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, I interviewed with Ted, Ted Rubin, the CMO of Photify uh, a couple of months ago. And I think it was him who said that in some respects for the younger generations, they actually trust each, it's easier to trust each other online, right? And I don't know whether that's true or not, but, but there's definitely something in this because you know, when I'm sitting, facing, talking, I'm spending 25, 30 minutes exclusively looking and talking to you. And we've already done our pre-work on who we are, right? And there's no distractions. I think people have historically said, you know, online selling and online communication is never going to replace the human side. But like you said before, I do think there's going to be a hybrid. I think we're surprised at how useful and value this, valuable this is. I think you agree that I think we can sell in a different and, and in a sometimes more impactful way online. Would you agree with that? Well, I do. And here's what's interesting is online. Now it can tire you out more because you know, you're trying to I look agree. at both, right? You know, what's not being, it's a little, but what it does is it makes you hyper-focused. So I know we ran training last week and it was interesting with some of the exercises online 
how I think I had more focus from the team. Yeah. Sometimes in a live classroom, I will tell you, they were all saying, I miss seeing people. You know, they miss the hallway conversation, the snack, yeah. the, the lunch conversation, but it is interesting. So I, I, I believe what we've got to do here is moving forward is take the best and yeah. then, and this, this is also good. So it's the hybrid because one, this is going to be interesting with remote selling, right? So when you can go back into offices, well, let's go back to the young sales professional. Yeah. They're ready to go back into some offices because you and I, I have this office, I have a training studio down in my base. Well, they're with three other people. I know. Right? I know. And so I think we've got to be really apply some common sense. I agree. Selling saves me money, saves yeah. me, but what's it going to cost you in camaraderie? I love the I agree. competition. There's a real balance. No, you're right. You're right. And, and, and talking about, you know, self-development and, you know, I, I think you're right. The young, a lot of younger employees need to be together. They need to have a boss around them. But, but talking about self-development, it, just, just wrapping up, if you were going to go back and whisper two or three words of wisdom to a younger version of you to success, set you up for success as a sales expert, right? So if you were going to go back a period of time, what two or three words of wisdom would you whisper to yourself? Be proactive about finding mentors. Yes. Yeah. I think I was always very independent, not arrogant. I just literally didn't know. I, I had some very good mentors, but I think even being more proactive about that, wow, can it shortcut the learnings for you? No, absolutely. And, and, I, and, I, and I feel the same. I mean, you know, having done these 38 interviews, for me, it's like having a 30-minute speed mentoring session. I'm learning so much, you know, from so yeah. many different people. And, and I've also found that, you know, global gurus are prepared to give their, you know, give their time and share the knowledge, you know, because at the end of the day, nobody owns any of this stuff. You know, we all have it to share. And so you've been really, uh, you know, really gracious to give this, this, this interview. I've really enjoyed it. We could have spoken for a lot longer, but um, uh, unfortunately we're against time. So, so thanks so much. So how do people find more about your work and your books? So I say the best way, Simon, is go to our website, which is www www.salesleadershipdevelopment.com and our newest book, Emotional Intelligence for Sales Leadership, you'll see it. And right now there's some nice bonus tools that go with it. You can take a salesperson assessment, EQ assessment, you get a book study guide. And for the sales leaders, we actually have a sales EQ and IQ interview guide. So go to our website and, and then we've got all sorts of free resources there as well. So. Cool. I, I run a, a whole load of programs for the Irish Small Medium Enterprise Board here. So I'm going to actually mention your, your, your book and your resources the next time I'm there. Thank so you. It's been great. I've really enjoyed this. And thanks so much for your time. It's been really good. Thank you. Thank you. And lovely to talk to a fellow Irish person. You know, that's, <laughs> that's my nationality with first name. Colleen. Oh, what a great name. Colleen's a great name. Okay. Take care. Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.